Under the Controlled Substances Act and Corollary State Law, the growth, trafficking, sale, possession, or consumption of psychedelics may be a felony punishable by imprisonment, fines, forfeiture of property, or some combination thereof. Psychedelical X is for general information only. Information provided on the show does not constitute legal advice, nor does your listening to the show create an attorney-client relationship with the host. Hello, I'm attorney Gary Smith, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Psychedelic Alex, The Law of Psychedelics, my ongoing exploration of the question of the law of psychedelics. Today's show is me cleaning out my email. <laughs> Legitimately, that's really what the show is. But not, not, not like, you know, my work email. Rather, um... I am trying all the time to read uh, and keep abreast of what's going on in the psychedelic universe so that I can distill it and come bring it to you, the audience, and tell you what's going on as it's happening. Now, because my day job gets in the way and this is not my full-time gig, I have to often pile stuff up and get to it when I can get to it. Resultingly, I've got a lot of email backlog that I want to talk about and just haven't had a chance to yet. So I'm going to do that today, and this is going to be kind of a variety episode. So I've got my email open next to the screen here. I'm just going to scroll through, and as I hit the ones I want to talk about, I'm going to talk about them. So in no particular order. Okay, my first email, my first email here that I'm going to talk about uh, is coming out of the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, MAPS, Newsletter. And by the way, if you don't subscribe to uh, these different organizations' newsletters, I recommend you do. They're chock-loaded, full of information, and it keeps you up to date. And I subscribe to a number of them, which is how I'm able to do this. But this, uh, this news story comes out of the MAPS May 2021 newsletter. And it's talking about that in May 2021, MAPS won an appeal that had placed their phase one study of MDMA on hold. Um, that hold is now lifted and MAPS's organization is now able to move forward with phase one studies of MDMA. Now, this is specific to their multi-sites, uh, multi-sites, try saying that 10 times fast, multi-site study. Ma MAPS has, however, a bunch of other studies going on and um, some of them are at phase three. And in fact, that's really why I wanted to bring this particular item to your attention. Um, MAPS is looking for volunteers for its phase three study. And by the way, I'm going to keep looking over to the side a little bit here because I've got, again, the, the email up next to this. Um, so MAPS indicates that it is actually looking for study subjects, patients, volunteers, people like you, people like me, to participate in MDMA studies. Now, naturally, you've got to qualify, and you've also got to live somewhere in the vicinity of one of the sponsoring clinics. But if you were curious to experience MDMA in a clinical setting for medical research purposes, 
you can sign up. It won't cost you anything, and you can participate and actually be given as part of the studies, MDMA or possibly placebo. I don't know which one you're going to get, but could be one or both. Um, but you can do this. And uh, the list of available cities where MAPS is looking for volunteers includes, uh, they're recruiting in Charleston, South Carolina, Boulder, Colorado, Fort Collins, Colorado, Boston, Massachusetts, Los Angeles, California, New York City, New York, Madison, Wisconsin, San Francisco, California, and Tel Aviv, Israel. So again, if you live in any of those places uh, or have easy access to those places and you would like to sign up for MAPS's Phase 3 MDMA study, reach out to MAPS and you can sign up and get plugged into the queue of, well, however they review and approve you. So go there. Anyway, that's my MAPS update for today. All right, next email from my email box is a story that came out uh, just this week, September 2021, regarding DEA proposing to increase its marijuana and psilocybin production permitting for further FDA research. That's mind-blowing because so far as I've known, DEA has all along been the single biggest obstacle to production of marijuana and psilocybin for study. But to the extent that DEA is now turning a corner and promoting the increase of production of these things specifically for study, kudos to DEA. Couldn't be happier. Please, please, please keep going. Um, the specifics of this story are that apparently in the, well, about to be, well, probably by the time you hear this, it will have published, but to be published in the Federal Register, which is kind of the federal government's clearinghouse for all of its different agencies. It's not a newspaper or a newsletter, but it kind of functions like that, really. The Federal Register is where all these different agencies will publish um, what's going on in their agency, rule changes, proposed rule changes, administrative actions, etc. So it's like a singular point where you can go to to find out what the official commentary and behaviors are from these agencies. And it's, it's where they go and publish these notices. So DEA has uh, expressed imminent intention to publish notice in the Federal Register that it intends to uh, propose significant increases. That's a direct quote in the manufacturing of these Schedule One substances of psilocybin and marijuana extract, or THC, etc. Um, and the article goes on to further quote the DEA agent that DEA quote firmly believes in supporting regulated research of Schedule One controlled substances. End quote. Again, a terrific sentiment. Glad to hear it past practice and behavior from DEA, however, has not really been in alignment with these sentiments. Again, staying optimistic that DEA has turned a corner and is now going to actually foster and promote research. Great news. I hope it's true. Stay tuned. Okay, my next news article uh, also came out uh, about a week ago, so, uh, first week of September 2021, and it's a local news article for here in Arizona. Uh, talking about the intense monsoonal rains we've been having, which up until a week ago we were. We were getting a lot of, a lot of monsoon rain, not nearly enough uh, to even remotely cover our needs. And in fact, 
just a week ago, it was announced that Arizona's allotment of Colorado River water was being cut uh, because the Colorado River is depleting and uh, our reservoirs are dangerously low. Uh, and continuing to decrease. So the allotment of river water, which we all depend on here, was cut. But nonetheless, we had some decent monsoons over the last several weeks. And as a result of these monsoons, uh, a local paper decided to write a story about the emergence of the Bufo alvarius toad. And the particular article I'm reading is entitled, Arizona Monsoon Rains Bring Out Toxic Toads. Now, not really bothered by the title because it's actually true. The Bufo alvarius toad, which uh, you may know, secretes bufotoxin, hence toxic toad, uh, also secretes 5-MeO-DMT, the, uh, the strongest DMT there is. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I want to discourage people, discourage people from bothering this toad. It is an endangered toad, or at least a threatened toad. Uh, its habitats are definitely diminishing, and human encroachment and climate change threaten this creature out in the wild. And it would be best to leave them alone and not bother them. Let them breed, let them live, and don't take them home and don't hurt them. Unfortunately, um, DMT, particularly toad-based 5-MeO-DMT, is rising in popularity. 5-MeO can be sourced elsewhere and can also be synthesized. Therefore, I really do discourage people from messing about with these toads. It is often the case that neophytes will go encounter these toads um, looking for the thrill of it, and they'll hurt that animal. There are actual ways to extract the venom from the toad without hurting the toad, but I'm not even going to describe them because I don't want to encourage anybody to figure it out or to do it. Again, I'm advocating leave the toad alone. But because of these monsoonal rains, and again, we've definitely experienced them here at my house, uh, these toads do come out, and I've actually seen some of them. Um, indeed, the very first episode of my show, I encountered a bufo toad, and it became the first show. Um, so if you're outside of Arizona and you're intrigued, uh, don't come looking for them. Find alternative sources. And if you're in Arizona, protect our native wildlife. I think you have an affirmative obligation, and uh, I stand in defense of the toad. Now, my next little news blurb is not really so much a... Um, a news story just so much as news, and it's really cool, good news. Um, the Peyote Way Church of God, which is the nation's oldest multiracial peyote church based right here in Arizona, of which I am a member, um, recently got contacted by the Smithsonian Institute for permission to use some of its imagery in Smithsonian exhibits. Now, for those of you who don't know, there's actually a, a long relationship between the church and, and various government entities, including the Smithsonian, due in part to... Uh, the, the founder, Mana Parehatan's uh, relationship with, amongst other people, Senator Barry Goldwater. Um, back when both of those gentlemen were alive, they're both long since deceased, uh, Mana used to actually produce pottery for Goldwater's department store. And if you have been in Arizona or live in Arizona, you won't find them today. But decades ago, there was once a Goldwater's department store. And if you're familiar with Fashion Square down in Scottsdale, in, in South Central Scottsdale, uh, Goldwater's department store used to be there. And the church used to supply the department store with pottery. And the church still makes that pottery, and you can buy it in a variety of stores and also online. Um, but resultingly, there was also a lot of traditional imagery that got picked up by 
various museums, including pieces of pottery. But that relationship continues to exist, and as recent as this past month, the the Smithsonian, try saying that fast, the Smithsonian reached out and asked for further permission to use some more imagery. So if you're ever curious to see some of the stuff from the Peyote Way Church of God, you can both go to the church's site or visit the church or also visit the Smithsonian—I'm never going to get that word out—Smithsonian Institute. My name is Smith. You think I could say this? My God. Smithsonian Institute's website. Um, The Smithsonian Institute, if you're not aware of this, by the way, has a tremendous free online library of imagery. You can go basically visit the Smithsonian virtually instead of physically. And I have done this, and I can't say enough nice about it. It's just so much available and for free. So check it out. Okay, in other psychedelic news in September of 2021... Uh, This past week, there was oral argument at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals on the Ames versus DEA case, and this is one of the ongoing right-to-try cases, and the Ames case, uh, I believe one of the primary plaintiffs is Dr. Sunil Agarwal. Uh, He's a physician wanting to be able to use psilocybin in his palliative cancer practice, And unfortunately, DEA, for whatever reason, decided that it had the right to step in between a physician and a patient and said no to Dr. Agarwal's request for right to try use of psilocybin. Now, I've done episodes of this on the show, and in case you haven't heard me talk about this before, what the right to try laws provide is that in certain circumstances, if you have a patient who is under uh, a, a mortal... Uh, diagnosis, a death sentence for something medical. Um, And if they have exhausted what modern Western medicine can throw at them, they have the right to a medical Hail Mary of sorts. Now, there are federal and correlative state laws for right to try, and what they all essentially provide is that if you want to engage in this medical Hail Mary, it has to at least be something that's on FDA's radar at some level on its way to study and approval. You can't just go grab something random from the hardware store and say, let me try this. Uh, And in this instance, psilocybin is in midst of FDA trials. It's not received full approval yet, therefore the need to ask for permission. Uh, The problem was DEA decided that it was going to stick with the absolutist position of no, And as a result, the doctor and these patients had to sue. And their premise was, hey, um, who is the DEA to be giving medical advice here? And resultingly, the case is now up on appeal and was just argued at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, That literally just happened a week ago. I don't know how quickly the court's going to rule, but uh, I want to give kudos to attorney Matt Zorn, who led the oral arguments and has been absolutely one of the fundamental leaders in taking action against DEA. Uh, And I want to wish him luck with the outcome on that. Uh, Also, Catherine Tucker, who's been on the show talking about this. She's been an absolute monumental force behind it, and she's absolutely in the legal and moral right, and I am absolutely confident they will win this case. Anyway, good luck to them, and more news to come as it develops. All right, so the next news story that I wanted to, or not news story, but the next item in my email was a news story that I found a, a couple of weeks ago, and it irked me enough that I sent myself a link to this story because I wanted to bring it up on the show. 
And the, the news story comes out of Miami, Florida. And the title of the article I found is High on Mushrooms, Miami Beach Accused Shooter Tells Police He Felt Empowered and Then Chose Victims at Random. Um, the mushrooms make a repeat appearance in the story, and I'm, I'm not going to chide the, the, the reporter too badly here, but the story really isn't about mushrooms. It's about somebody who decided to go on a killing spree uh, who claims that he took mushrooms. But there's nothing in the story at all to suggest that the mushrooms were the cause of him doing this, a catalyst for him doing this, or even had any role at all. The mushrooms come up because I think the reporter, much as many reporters would, found a sort of prurient interest in the fact that mushrooms were somehow in the story. But they didn't have to be. And, and, and this is the thing I want to point out, because I do remember from all the way back in my youth these exaggerations that would come out about how various drugs would make people do just the most horrible things to themselves and others. And in some instances, yeah, sure, maybe, maybe that's true maybe. But we're right now in the sort of re-emergence phase of psychedelics, but we still have the old taints of, of the propaganda of the last 50 years weighing down on that emergence. And so this is kind of my, my request, cautionary note, whatever you want to call it, to the, the proponents of psychedelics and the people who are still learning about psychedelics. How these things are written about in the news matters. It makes a huge difference. A lot of people get their information this way and not from other sources. This way meaning not my show. The news stories they read online or they see on the internet or on TV. And the dissemination of all of this modern recording equipment, cell phone technology, etc. is making almost anybody... Um, dubbing themselves a reporter. Um, and worse than that, a lot of these news agencies are cutting down on their reporter budgets and their compensation for actual well-trained reporting. So as a result, you're seeing an enduring decrease in well-educated, articulate reporters and an increase in the number of not so well educated and not so articulate reporters. And as a result, the quality of the reporting itself suffers and diminishes. And resultingly, now the public who's come to rely on reporting, if you're not thinking to ask questions about the people and the information you're being presented, you're apt to take these things at face value. And that's the danger. Because in this instance of this particular story, the mushrooms are, are really not part of the story at all, but the reporter thought to put them in there and it even made it into the title, which in turn made it into the headline. And so I want to caution against that. Um, if you see stories where a uh, psychedelic is involved and it shouldn't really be mentioned in the story or, or its reference is skewed or negative when it really shouldn't be, you should absolutely feel free to reach out to that news organization or that reporter and ask them to make the correction and offer 
to uh, lend your time or advice to them to better educate the reporter. Because a lot of times these reporters are under deadlines or don't really have the motivation to dig deeper than they dig. And that's what causes the distortion. And, and I'll, I'll even go this far. If you're a reporter, and I don't care where you are in the world, if you've got a question about psychedelics and you have nobody else to turn to, come to me. I'll be happy to talk to you. I talk to reporters all the time. Um, courtesy of my cannabis work here in Arizona in particular, I talk to a reporter at least once a month probably. I'm happy to do it because I'm trying to help get accurate information out there and to expand the number of people who have that accurate and objective information so that we can do away with these rumors and these scandals and the propaganda in favor of truth. And to that extent, that's my caution to you all, and that's why I brought this particular story up, not to pick on the reporter, not to pick on the story itself, but rather the manner in which the story is reported. So hopefully uh, this resonates with you and you agree with me, and hopefully you maybe know some reporters in your lives and can help educate them so that we don't see more stories like this spun this way. Anyway, that's, uh, that's, that's, thank you for uh, allowing me to clean out my inbox with you. I hope you found some intrigue as much as I did, and I'm happy to share this, and I'll probably do this again as my email inbox continues to back up. Until then, this has been another episode of Psychedelic Alex. Take care. Have a question about psychedelics and the law? You're welcome to submit them. Please send your questions to admin at psychedelicalex.com. Submission of questions is not an assurance that they will be used on the show. Also, please be aware that neither the submission of a question nor a response creates an attorney-client privilege between you and the show's host, nor does an answer constitute legal advice. Information provided is for general purposes only. If you need legal counsel, you should hire competent counsel in your community. Thank you.